Shining through CIDP to me means being able to do what you want to do and not what the disease is telling you you can't do. Don't give in to the disease. It's not easy, but I'm going to do it. And like I've told people, I may have CIDP, but CIDP don't have me. Sign up at shiningthroughcidp.com to get real CIDP stories and resources. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Modern technology has provided us with an unprecedented amount of comfort. For example, with just a turn of a dial, we can ensure that our homes are always set at a perpetual 71 degrees, even if it's blazing hot or frigidly cold outside. But what if our quest for technology-enabled comfort has actually made us physically and mentally weaker and sicker? What if our bodies actually need discomfort to truly thrive and flourish? My guest today explores that idea firsthand in his book, What Doesn't Kill Us, How Freezing Water, Extreme Altitude, and Environmental Conditioning Will Renew Our Lost Evolutionary Strength. His name is Scott Carney. He's an anthropologist and a writer. And in his latest book, he investigates the sometimes crazy sounding claims of a Dutch daredevil and prophet of intentional stress exposure named Wim Hof. For years, Scott followed Wim's method of physical vitality that consists of daily hyperventilation, breathing exercises, and cold exposure to see what it would do to his physiology and the results truly astonished him. Along the way, he interviews scientists, researchers, and athletes who are at the forefront of exploring why embracing environmental discomfort is the missing key to overall health. On today's show, Scott and I discuss Wim Hof and his claims, the health benefits of exposing ourselves to the cold, and how hyperventilating may help you do more push-ups than you ever thought possible. If you enjoyed our content on the health benefits of cold showers, you're going to love this podcast. After the show's over, check out the show notes at awim.is slash coldexposure. Scott Carney, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much. All right. So you wrote a book called What Doesn't Kill Us, How Freezing Water, Extreme Altitude, and Environmental Conditioning Will Renew Our Lost Evolutionary Strength. And it follows you as you follow the practices and methodologies of a guy named Wim Hof. We'll get to Wim here in a minute because he's an interesting guy. But let's start with the premise of this book. You start off arguing in the book that modern life is making us weaker and sicker. Uh, How so? Well, you know, if you think about where our species came from, you know, Homo sapiens sapien, we are about 200,000 years old. Uh, That's when we evolved from our previous ancestor, which was, you know, pretty similar to us. And in that time, we endured all the variations that nature could throw at us. Uh, you know, it, it, at, even in the equatorial regions of Africa, you know, the, the temperature swing between night and day could be 50 degrees. And then we left Africa. We went through across the Alps with just a whisper of modern technology. Uh, 
We went through Asia, made it to Australia and the New World. And all of this was, uh, you know, was with nothing to really help us. You know, some fur skins, some sailboats, some, some sort of basic stuff. And to do it, we had to rely on our amazing innate biology to resist the elements, to resist these variations. Uh, and, you know, if you, if you, you know, you went back in time, it would be a terrible idea to challenge one of your ancestors to an arm wrestling match or a foot race. They would just crush you. And one of the reasons for this is that now we live in this cocoon of technological comfort where, where our need for that sort of like that, you know, we can call homeostasis, this, this place where the environment meets every biological need has made our bodies not have to do any work. And, and because of that, we don't experience the natural variations that our biology developed in. Uh, we live it in a perpetual summer of 72 degrees, and it doesn't matter what the outdoor temperature is like. You know, we have antiseptic environments where, you know, we've scrubbed out the bacteria and the, and the, 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 the things that, that uh, attack us. And this, you know, makes the, the, the underlying biology that we have that wants to resist that, 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 where change was constant, it makes that biology underutilized. In some cases, uh, it, it turns inwards and attacks itself, leading to autoimmune illnesses. But also, we're just not able to, to, you know, we look outside at a snowstorm and we consider that extreme weather and we're like, hell no, I don't want to go out there. But our species can do that. And so what this process of the book was doing was exposing myself to some extreme temperatures and some extreme environments and unlocking that hidden biology that every one of us has inside. Right. And, and besides the auto, autoimmune disease, I mean, what are some of the other diseases of civilization that have come from constant comfort? Oh my God, there's so many. There's uh, osteoporosis is, is one, um, diabetes, obesity, um, you know, poor sleep cycles because of the constant electric lighting that we have. Uh, you know, there, everything, oh, my favorite and, and one that I come back to in the book all the time is, is just since the 1990s. Uh, do, do you remember that time period? I, I don't know how old you are. You, you probably remember yeah, the nineties. Right? I'm 34. Yeah. 34. Okay. Fantastic. Do you remember that when you moved to a new city and you were like, Hey, this is a cool place. I want to go explore and find my way across town. You had to, to, to take out this ancient piece of technology, which had like a picture of the city on it and the streets and their names on the streets. And you had to navigate your way across the city by using this, this map. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. I haven't seen one in a while. Um, by using that map, you, you sort of just learned innately how to navigate the city. Nowadays, when I move to a new place, I have a GPS and I, and I rely on it for every turn as I go through. And I've lost this innate ability that humans have to tell direction. And that's just happened in our lifetime. Yeah, it's nuts. And you also talk about some of the other changes thanks to technology. I mean, a lot of these diseases of civilization have come with technology. It's not just, you know, digital technology, but like even like rudimentary technology, like cooking with fire um, mm -hmm. that made our jaws weaker, right? Yeah, well, fire is a really interesting case because it's an old technology, right? That that goes possibly all the way back to Homo erectus, which is an our ancestor's ancestor's ancestor. Uh, and what happened when we invented fire was that that we could instead of you know this sort of chimp-like primate 
our ancestor, which would have to chew cellulose and sort of, uh, you know, vegetables and things. You'd have to chew a hell of a lot to get out the nutrition. And you had a, they had really big guts because of that. Um, because the, you know, you just had to have more digestive tract. Your, your jaws were like the super powerful. Think of a chimp's jaws. Like that's some serious tooth action. Uh, as we invented fire, what that did is it outsourced the ability of our bodies to, um, to essentially you digest food outside your body and, and, and by cooking something you you're able, it becomes essentially more nutritious and, and you have to chew it less. So, so our, over time fire made our jaws smaller, made our guts smaller, uh, you know, and that led us to be able to walk around upright, uh, in, in sort of a, convoluted evolutionary path um, for the way we, we search for food. Uh, it made us, um, uh, it also gave us more time to, instead of just chewing all the time, right? We actually had time to, to use our brains to do other things. So fire is one of these technologies that evolved slowly with us. And actually we had it and, and it changed our physiology. But, and, and we are, we are impossible to separate from fire. Like our bodies could not exist without fire. But what I'm looking at in the book is more these modern technologies like heating and, and, and all of these conveniences that we have now where our bodies haven't had a chance to adapt slowly like they did to fire. It's like it was just dropped on us. And if we've been around for 200,000 years, that we're talking 150 years. That's like a blink of an evolutionary eye. And, and that stuff, our, our body just hasn't caught up to to the new environment that we inhabit and that is doing crazy things to us right so the mismatch is causing these 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 problems exactly okay so let's talk about wim hof so i've i've heard of wim hof he seems like possibly a madman um crazy guy charlatan uh, but he's doing some crazy things to counter these diseases of civilization where he's purposely exposing himself to extreme cold, extreme conditions, um, and he's surviving. We'll talk about, I mean, can you talk about some of the, the crazy things that he has done that, that baffle people that he's able to do this? Yeah, he holds all sorts of crazy records um, for mostly having to do with his body being extreme cold things. And I actually first heard about him when I was a foreign correspondent for Wired magazine in India. And there was a look, there was like a little small uh, snippet in the paper of this guy who was climbing Mount Everest in just a pair of shorts. So bare chest climbing up Mount Everest. And he made it up three quarters of the way. And at the time I was like, this guy is insane. And not only insane, he's disrespectful to uh, the, 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 the power of nature. Uh, and uh, he, you know, he's run barefoot uh, marathons in the Arctic in, uh, across snow. He's, he's run marathons through the, uh, I think it's the Kalahari desert, um, you know, with no water. He, he's hold, held the record for swimming underneath sea ice uh, in distance. I mean, he, he has done these things, which, which really are um, superhuman. And he, he's, in, he's stayed in, in an ice bath. Uh, for I believe 90 minutes and his body temperature while they were testing him uh, actually rose while he was in the bath. Uh, and usually, you know, a, a person who's not trained and just sort of dunked into this ice might die, die from anywhere between 15 and 45 minutes. So he does things that are 
you know, superhuman. And you are right to say he sounds like a madman because he's absolutely a madman because only a madman would do this. But he's also a prophet because he is, you know, showing that that the, the, what the human body is able to do if conditioned consciously and correctly into these environments. So I, I, I when I first heard of him, uh, you know, I'm an investigative journalist, I'm an anthropologist, and I had written uh, uh, several books and articles at that point about the dangers of intensive meditation, and in particular, the types of spiritual practices that offer you superpowers. Uh, I, you know, in 2005, I was leading a broad program in Northern India. Uh, I had, I was an anthropologist getting my PhD at the time. And one of my students, the best, the brightest, the smartest student in the program, uh, uh, at the end of the silent meditation retreat, as we're contemplating enlightenment, contemplating nirvana, uh, she climbs up to the roof of the retreat center and jumps to her death, committing suicide at the, on the last day of the retreat. And, you know, as the person who was in charge of her, you know, of the, of these students, uh, she, I had to read her, her, her journal and, you know, I was invo involved with the police investigation and it was, it was a horrible thing, but in her journal, the last words in it were, I am a bodhisattva, which, which means I am enlightened that I'm going to be essentially an angel. And all I need to do is leave my body to attain that state. And, and, and this is the cautionary experience that led me down to write another book about intensive uh, meditation where people literally get so caught up in this idea of spiritual transcendence and, and becoming supernatural almost that they lose touch with reality and a lot of people die. And it's a story that's not really talked about very much. So with all of this in mind, when I hear about Wim Hof, and this is in 2011, 2012, I am certain that he is one of these sort of guru charlatans who wants to uh, tell people that he can give them superpowers, uh, take all their money as, as he does it, and then potentially get people killed. And I wanted to get a, in front of that uh, and, you know, show people that, that you know, the attainment of superpowers is not a great idea. Yeah. And, but he, he is claiming that some superpowers, like he can, he claims that with meditation and breathing and exposure, like you can on demand, um, increase your metabolism. So you warm yourself up or on demand, you can fight, increase your immunity system so you can fight diseases. So he is making those claims. So, I mean, damn right. And, and I think I was absolutely right to go out there and try to debunk this guy, um, because they, they are huge and they, they're things that should be, you should be absolutely skeptical of. Uh, but, you know, as an anthropologist, as an investigative journalist who has a certain set of ethics that I abide by, when I went out to see him uh, on a commission that, that, you know, eventually ran in Playboy magazine, my intention was to debunk him, but, but by doing it through his method, by saying, look, I'm going to learn your method. And I'm going to watch it fall apart. I'm going to watch these students be mindless followers of your of your method and you basically taking advantage of them. And then I'm going to see you put us into a dangerous situation that um, that, you know, then I'll be able to tell the, 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 the tragic story of, of Wim Hof. Uh, but it turns out that when I did the method. Uh, that when I actually did his breathing method and his environmental exposure routines, that 
things in my own physiology started changing very rapidly. Now, I was living in Los Angeles at the time. Uh, <clears throat> so we're talking perpetual summer uh, there. And, and I fly to Poland in the middle of the winter that stopped Napoleon's army. You know, it's the, it's the winter that ground Hitler's blitzkrieg to a halt. And within a couple days, I'm standing out side in the middle of this just frigid cold in nothing but shorts with my bare feet in the snow and i'm burning up and it's and i can stay out in the snow for an hour like this you know we do these things like i sit on the banks of a river and all the snow melts around me because my body is is running so hot and then i climb up a mountain uh, in poland it's actually a ski slope called snezka uh, and we spend about eight hours on this mountain it's about two degrees uh, Fahrenheit outside, and uh, and I make it to the top, and I'm hot the entire way. I'm sweating, and I'm just in you know shorts and boots. So I mean, it's an amazing. It was eye opening, and it happened so rapidly that I was like, I, I there was nothing I could do but say that Hoff is onto something. Now he may make some grandiose claims that surpass this shock and awe at that point, but it was enough for me to realize that I had to examine this this guy on fair terms and really delve deeply into the ideas that he's putting forward that 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 we can unlock hidden human potential and it's these aren't superpowers these are human powers that we all have and you know and, and i think that's the, the 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 crux of it right we don't have superpowers uh, we have just normal human abilities that we have suppressed. So what does his method look like? So part of it is just getting exposed to the cold. Um, what else is involved? So the, yeah, there's, there's two basic parts of the method. Uh, and you can learn the Wim Hof method in like 15 or 20 minutes. Like it's not very, very difficult because it involves putting yourself in uh, situations where the environment creates a predictable biological response. Uh, so in the cold, it, 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 one of the things would be the first thing that happens when you jump into the, the snow, you know, is you tense up or you're taking cold showers, you tense up. Uh, and then eventually you'll start shivering. And this is just your body trying to fight that stimulus. And what Wim teaches is that you get into that situation and instead of tensing up, you relax. You just let that cold sort of in and, and, and by, by suppressing that tensing moment and suppressing the shiver, you actually are, are having a significant impact on your sympathetic nervous system. And these are your fight or flight responses. And by modulating that, you actually start gaining control over how your sympathetic nervous system works. And it's, you know, and, and because our bodies are, 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 have evolved to adapt quickly, you actually get this control. Um, it, it, um, super fast. It's not, it doesn't take very long to to uh, accumulate that, and and so you know when you're standing in the in in you know you jump into ice water or something you just don't shiver you just suppress that and your body figures out a different way to heat itself up. Uh, at first it does it sort of weakly, but over time it's able to sort of really ramp up the engine and and keep you warm in those environments. The other part of the method is a breathing method where, where uh, and you don't need to do it at the same time. You don't do this in the cold water or something. You do this, you know, it could be separated by hours in the day, it's fine. Um, where you hyperventilate, which are not like panicky hyperventilations, but deep, rapid breaths. It would sound something like this. <sighs> 
and you do about 30 of those, right? And, and then at the end of that, you let all of the air out of your lungs, uh, and then you hold your breath, uh, and the, for as long as you can. Uh, usually I'll do about a minute uh, at first, and then, uh, then you do another hyperventilation round, and then you hold your breath again. And, and then all of a sudden, instead of just a minute of holding my breath, I can hold it for two minutes. Do another round that I'm holding it for three minutes, and it's like it's, it's really a a very fast increase. Uh, and what you're trying to do is suppress this this response and modulate this response, this need for gasping. Uh, and once you get that, that's another um, parasympathetic uh, response. Uh, and and the, so you're gaining control of both sides of this of this uh, autonomic nervous system by doing these these two sorts of exercises. Uh, and at the end of that, then you uh, what you do is you, you you do a third round of of hyperventilation, and then you let all the air out of your lungs. You just start doing push-ups, just immediately, just go into doing you know your normal push-up routine of whatever you do. And when I first had started this uh, doing this practice, I could do about 20 push-ups. You know, I'm not an athlete. I'm just a, a dude, a journalist, you know, I, I'm a writer, I could do 20 pushups. But when I did this breathing method uh, at Wim's house, I could do 40 and I wasn't breathing and I had no air in my lungs. It was amazing. Uh, and now I do it every morning and I do 50 pushups breathless. Um, the most I've ever hit was 80. Uh, and it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's just a really surprising thing. And, and maybe that's the, the aha moment where I decided that Wim was really onto something because you don't just double the amount of, of exercises you can do with a breathing method. That's just not how I thought the world worked. Well, and so you, besides following Wim, you actually go and talk to scientists who have been researching some of the things that Wim's been doing. So like with the breathing thing, why is, I mean, why is it that you're able to do more pushups by doing this hyperventilating exercise and holding your breath? What's going on there? Well, so the first thing that, that that's happening is you're blowing off uh, carbon dioxide from your lungs. And so the way your body detects the, the, that it needs to breathe air, like, it, like it's running out of breath, um, it, is it, it detects the buildup of CO2. It can't actually detect oxygen. And that's just the way the body's biology works. So when you hyperventilate, you blow off all of that CO2. And and then you're, you know, and so you're, you're moving that gas point later because as the resp as you're holding your breath, that respiration has to, you know, has to basically fill up your lungs again with CO2 or the, you know, the bloodstream has to accumulate CO2. And that's like, okay, great. We got CO2 and we need to breathe. So you're just tricking your body's normal respiratory um, method uh, by blowing off all that CO2 and and pushing yourself into into a, a physical place where you can do more push-ups and the reason why this is interesting right the, you know, rather than it's just a hack that's okay you, you just tricked your body is that is that you still did the push-ups right your body actually had that ability to do this and its warning signals were actually far too conservative like your body has this sort of you know if we the, the world we grew up in right which is sort of homeostatic, which is comfortable. Uh, we set off our alarm bells for, for where we're reaching our limits super duper early. And if you start doing these things where you're, you're, you're pushing yourself in this uh, hypoxic or sort of low oxygen environment, uh, all of a sudden your body starts to learn that it actually has more ability and, and, and will, will sort of seed a little bit more control into your, into your, uh, into your system. Into, sorry, into your mind. Yeah. So what's the benefit of that? I mean, like 
besides doing more pushups, like how else does that translate into performance other in other areas? Mm. So one, and there's lots of ways that, that, that this happens. I mean, it, it, it increases your ability to rest, to um, breathe in general, and which, which puts more oxygen in your bloodstream, gives you more available energy. But I think the most interesting way that I've seen people use it is when I met a guy named Brian McKenzie and this legendary surfer, Laird Hamilton, who both get sort of a chapter in the book. And what they're doing Brian McKenzie is one of the founders of, of high intensity interval training or HIT workouts. And the idea between HIT uh, for HIT workouts is that if you train at the absolute maximum exertion, what, what, what you know, uh, athletes would call the VO2 max, then, uh, and, and, or if you're like, if, if you're trying to train for a marathon, instead of logging more and more miles every week, you just do these sprints, but at your absolute highest level, then you actually are pushing your body much better and much more efficiently to run marathons uh, elsewhere. So, so shorter workouts, shorter high intensity workouts are more efficient. Now, when that mixes with the Wim Hof method, if you're, if you're now prepping yourself to push past what your limits are, so like instead of going at 100%, if you can trick your body into like 104% or 107%, then your high intensity interval workouts are even more power packed and, and you get that much more benefit for these longer endurance races. And it's, it's awesome. I mean, you, you see these just top tier athletes doing this method now. And it, this only works for endurance. Like you wouldn't be able to do this and then pull a deadlift ER, right? No, actually, I think, you know, it, it, that's a good question. Like, how, how does it affect strength? Uh, and I, I, I can't, I'm, I'm a, I, this is a, probably a little bit outside of my knowledge, because I'm not a big, uh, big weightlifter. But I would say that if you can suddenly do more reps than you could usually do in training, right, then wouldn't that make you a stronger person in general? Right? If, if all of a sudden I could, you know, I could, I could, I could, do 20 push-ups, right? I, I was usually doing 20 push-ups and now I can do 40 in my workouts. Isn't that, you know, four, 20 more push-ups than I could usually do? It doesn't that affect my, my ability to get stronger? Possibly. Um, but yeah, we also had, you also talk about, um, deep sea divers. So this technique, deep sea divers actually don't like doing this, even though it allows them to hold their breath longer. They don't do this. We had James Nestor on the podcast a while ago. Oh, he's awesome, uh, by this, the way. Yeah, I love him. This is like something, yeah, this is like something you don't want to do because this can actually kill you if you're trying to deep hold your breath underwater. Yes. Uh, and and yeah, a big caution to anyone listening to this, it would seem that free diving and the Wim Hof method would just, you know, goes to, go together like peas and carrots. Uh because, you know, you're able to blow off CO2, you're able to hold your breath longer. And therefore, if you are going to dive 300 feet underwater, it, it, that's a useful ability. The issue is what they call shallow water blackouts is because you're tricking your body to by blowing off CO2, uh, you don't always know when that gasp reflex is just going to kick in. And, and and you can, you know, and I have passed out doing this push-up method. You know, when I did 80 push-ups, I mentioned earlier, I hit 80 and boom, I just went out like a light, banged my head on the floor. And, uh, and you know, that was unfortunate. Uh, but if I was doing that and free diving, I would have passed out and, and my autonomic reflex would be to gasp. 
And this is why, you know, 300 free divers have died in the last few years. Uh, is that because if you if you are doing this on dry land, the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to fall down. You do it underwater, you're going to drown. Wedding season is coming up. And if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suit started at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone, if something happens to me? Well, it's one of the first things I did. I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness, M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. 
Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. Right. And so this, I'm imagining this breathing technique also is what allows women, which allowed yourself, we'll talk about in more detail um, later on, but to uh, climb Mount Kilimanjaro with like at a record pace, right? You're able to like, instead of doing the usual acclimation, you know, doing slowly, you're able to get up in two days. Yes. Uh, I mean, faster than two days. Uh, we did, we actually summited Kilimanjaro in 28 hours. I will say that that is not the record. Uh, the record is just shy of seven hours by this just crazy endurance athlete, um, uh, Killian Jornet. And, uh, but what he did is he actually acclimated his body at high altitude first ran down to the bottom of the mountain. So when you're at high altitude, you're generating more red blood cells, right? So you can, you can move more oxygen through your system. He went down to the bottom and then, then, you know, sprinted up to the top and I got nothing on, on Killian, right? I would never assume uh, that. However, what we did is we did it without acclimation. So we went up from the base of Kilimanjaro to the top and then we did it in 28 hours and it usually takes five days to acclimate your body to that altitude and we had spoken to the um the, the u.s uh, militaries and sort of environmental scientists uh they predicted that 70 percent of our group of i think we had about 28 people uh would come down with acute mountain sickness or, or ams which uh, is a debilitating and possibly fatal condition uh, of, of being at high altitude. And, you know, when we did it, uh, we only had two people come down with AMS, which is, uh, you know, was unheard of. You know, we talked to some mountaineers in, in Holland. Uh, the Mountaineering Club of Holland said that all of us would die on a mountain. Uh, but, you know, we, we, you know, hiked up right to the top and we did it at, at just this mind-boggling pace. And I did it. Uh, I did it was mostly shirtless too. Was it? I guess it was thanks to the breathing technique, right? So, so what we were doing is the entire way up, we were we were doing that Wim Hof breathing. So, twenty eight hours of just, which took a like more mental focus than I knew I had uh, uh, to do. But we were breathing rapidly because we were trying to consciously account for for the decreased oxygen by increasing our respiration and it worked and this is a technique that uh, that people can use as they go up mountains now like you can you could if, if you're getting down to acute mountain sickness this this is one way that i think that we can com uh, we can combat that which is fantastic you don't need diamox you don't need to to uh, i mean if you're getting ms you know by all means descend quickly because that's the medically right thing to do but you can prevent it and uh, this from even coming on with this breathing method and that is really cool so let's circle back to the uh the cold exposure because we've i'm a big fan of cold showers we've written about it um, on the site before a lot of our listeners are probably practitioners of cold cold showers so what's the science behind cold exposure i mean what happens to our bodies when we expose ourselves uh to cold. So the cold does a whole bunch of things to our autonomic nervous system. Uh, 
that that we just don't usually have. And the most obvious and the and the 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 most interesting, I feel, uh, is something called vasoconstriction. So our body is full of all these arteries and veins, and and we've got enough of this to go. If we lined all those arteries and veins end to end, we'd be going across the states two times. It's a a huge circulatory network, and along all of the veins, and veins are what return blood to the heart, are muscles. Uh, and these muscles just sit there and, but they're potentially so strong that if I were to, you know, if someone were to cut my leg off below the knee, uh, those veins would constrict to stop the flow of blood out of my body. Uh, and this is why soldiers are able to survive these debilitating wounds. We have this autonomic system that will stem, um, blood loss, but the other use for it and the, and the more common use for vasoconstriction is, uh, to shunt blood to the core if you get cold, to sacrifice the extremities uh, to to keep your 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 core warm. Now, for the vast majority of us uh, who live at this sort of constant seventy two degrees, we never ever activate those muscles. So those muscles are get get weak, and that weakness leads to all sorts of circulatory diseases. Uh, so just getting into the snow, getting into cold water is like lifting weights for your, your circulatory system. And it's, it's the easiest thing to do to, to, to do that, to, to, to get to turn a cold shower and then they flex and you go warm and they relax and you go cold and they flex again. And, you know, even somebody with a chiseled abs who's a total gym rat could have this like totally weak, uh, a circulatory system. So that's the the first thing that the cold does. Another thing that it does is it modulates insulin um, production, which is you know helps with uh, with with and, and insulin uh, insulin resistance is is the condition that leads to diabetes. Uh, it can uh, the cold will also make you lose weight so fast. I and mean, if you if you think about you know you're at the gym and you're you have like a little bit of a paunch and you want to lose weight it's pretty hard to do that through running and exercise, right? I mean, you can, but it takes a, a lot of focus effort. Your body would generally prefer to burn muscle and other tissues before it, it goes after your fat uh, content. And the reason for that is that that fat is has an evolutionary purpose to actually heat your body. And we have a tissue that we're born with called brown adipose tissue or brown fat that every infant, human infant who's not premature has. And and that's because when you're that small, you're just born, you don't have uh, the musculature or digestive system to heat your body the normal way, you know, that, that adults do. And, you know, every time you move, you generate heat. Uh, every time your digestive system sort of moves, it generates heat. And this is how we maintain it sort of a 98.6 uh, um, body temperature. That's how we thermoregulate. But infants who are also very small, which means they have a high surface area to mass ratio, lose heat very quickly. So the strategy that infants use to survive is, is this brown adipose tissue, which they have a lot of. And what it does is it sucks white fat from their body and directly metabolizes it for heat energy. And it produces a lot of heat. And this is how all of us got through our earliest years. Now, as we get older, we're able to heat ourselves in, in, in various other ways. And scientists thought that most adults just didn't have any BAT until they uh, until 2007 when, uh, and I won't get into the, all the, the whole story and how they found it, but a, a researcher named Aaron Sipis over at 
Harvard um, discovered that adults actually do have it. And the reason that we don't, they didn't realize it before is because you only keep it around after childhood and you only develop more if you're constantly exposed to cold. And, and the, the response and the reason why you, you get BAT is that, is that you're cold and your body's like, okay, I don't want to shiver myself warm all the time. I'm going to use my metabolism. And that sucks out and then suck out your white fat. So this white fat is, is energy that we have, but it's, it's, it's not for caloric energy to move our muscles. It's caloric energy to heat our bodies. And that's one of the things that's sort of an evolutionary mismatch with the way we live today. And uh, you actually lost seven pounds of fat after your first uh, trip to Poland with Wim, correct? Yeah. Isn't that nuts, right? Me hanging out in the snow, eating Polish food, which I will remind you is mostly sausage and, you know, uh, uh, sausage and pierogies. So oily, fatty, carby food. Uh, I lost seven pounds of fat uh, while, while hanging out with them. So, like, so let's say someone's listening to this. Like, that sounds awesome. Like, I want to give my my circulatory system an, a workout, uh, but I also want to get this brown fat so I can start losing white fat. So, like, what do you need to do? Like, do you have, like, how long do you need to expose yourself to cold for you to start developing this ability? Well, everyone's physiology is a little bit different. So, I can't give an exact response. And actually, still research is ongoing. But I can say, that I was able to keep my body warm through this, this metabolic process very well after three days of, of going out in the snow for as long as I could, could, could manage it. You know, and, and, and I need to be clear that you need to be in control in the snow. If you start shivering uncontrollably or start getting frostbite, you're doing this wrong. You're pushing past your limits. Humans are designed, we evolved to adapt rapidly. Our ancestors who passed on their genes didn't see an oncoming snowstorm and say, I'll get ready for it next month. They were like, our bodies have to be ready now. And so you build it up extremely rapidly. Uh, one test uh, in a lab in uh, Holland showed that they put like 12 diabetic men, so overweight diabetic men, I think they were mostly in their 50s, and they put them in a cold room uh, for about 51 degrees for three hours a day for three weeks. At the end of that time, uh, and they were just wearing shorts and a shirt, I believe. At the end of that time, just being cold decreased their insulin sensitivity by 54%, which is a dramatic improvement for their diabetes. So you do this, you do this quick and, and all you need to do is get cold, you know, start with cold showers. That's the easiest you know, way to do it. You start with your hot shower You take your Scottish shower that, that starts hot and goes cold. And, and then when you're in that environment, the most important thing is to relax. Like you don't want to warm yourself by that muscle action, which will may help you lose weight, but it's not going to help you get this me metabolic activity. So you consciously just, you know, do, you take a deep breath and you just say, okay, I'm cold and, and, and it'll be all right. And this is the signal to your nervous system to start building up um, metabolic changes in your body. A another very easy way to do things is something that I do a lot is to, if it's winter, which it is now, uh, go for a run outside in just a pair of shorts, maybe wear a hat and gloves if it's super cold out and you're worried about your extremities, but go shirtless. Or if you're a woman, you know, wear a sports bra, but to go with as, as much of your skin as possible, um, out to the cold and then go for a, you know, a three mile run or a five mile run or something like that. Come back. And, and what, what's going to happen is that because you're moving your muscles a lot, you're actually generating a tremendous amount of heat. You know, 
if you if you run in the winter now and you're wearing fleece, you're probably sweating under all that stuff. So this this is a great way to do this method because your skin is actually getting that signal for the cold. It will be, your skin will be cold to the touch, but your core will be warm. But those neural signals for saying, get ready for winter are coming into your body. And that's going to be one great way to start building up this metabolic change. So for the cold showers, is there like a time length you should shoot for like five minutes under the cold or does it matter? Uh, I mean, longer equals better in this case, but you get them, you know, with any sort of new practice, you, you have the benefit of the law of diminishing returns, right? Where, you know, and this happens really for any exercise routine, any meditation routine, anything new that you do is you learn the most in the first, the, the introduction to this. And if you can get into the shower and relax and stay there for like 30 seconds of just being uh, uh, after you're relaxed, you will have gotten a huge benefit into your system. Now, if you stay there longer, you'll still get benefits, but the, the curve sort of bends a little bit after that. Uh, so I would say, you know, minimum shoot for a minute, right? Because that's not really, it's not going to kill you. It's going to be fine. If you can do five, that's great. You know, um, you know, you, you know, some people work this up for a long, long time, but the goal is to subdue your panic response and relax. And, and that is a signal to your body that you're getting, that you're, you, you have to have mental control instead of this autonomic control. And that's the, the first step. And then you do more stuff and you'll find that it gets easier. And, and the really cool thing is that, so when you're in the cold, you release all these awesome feel-good hormones, you know, norepinephrine, epinephrine, adrenaline, cortisol, they're all start re releasing in your system and you get out of that cold shower and you feel awesome. And that becomes sort of this addictive and really fun thing. And, and besides the uh, the cold exposure, I mean, that's what your book's primarily primarily about. But are there any other ways we can inject stress in our lives so we become stronger? Sure. I mean, you know, I do. I, I find the cold uh, to be this a, a safe way to do it, right? Because you know, it's you obviously can get you know, kill yourself doing with extreme cold, right? But it's easier to warm up your body if you get a little too cold than it is to cool down your body if you get a little too hot. But that doesn't mean you can't do the same basic training with the other extreme, right? You just have to be a lot more careful uh, in, in, in pushing your limits. But yeah, I mean, the breathing method, the cold, you can use heat, uh, you can use altitude. I mean, a lot of this stuff is is things that people have known for a while, right? The reason why the Olympic Training Center in America is up in Colorado is because we're at 5,000 feet and that's an environmental stimulus you don't even realize about, but you just get the passive uh, benefit of being at high altitude. So, you know, the, any, you know, and I write in the book, there's this concept that I have called the wedge, which is where any environmental stimulus that comes into your body that has a predictable biological response, you know, that, it, that, that if that, that stimulus and that response, if you have any control over that response, that is a moment of where you can train. And I, you know, I, I talk about this in, in the book is that you can say a sneeze is a great, is, is a great example of this. You know, you know, if you, if you start to have to sneeze and, and you say, well, I don't want to sneeze right now, you can actually delay that. You can say, okay, I'm, I'm just going to resist this sneezing reflex that I have. Uh, that is growing this, this ability you have to, to sort of master your autonomic nervous system. Now, I don't know if you should never sneeze in your life. I mean, this is not necessarily useful. Sneezing is, is a great thing to do. But, but you know, 
it's one of the fundamental ways that humans learn. And, 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 you know, you could maybe learn to hold your pee for a long time or, you know, delay an orgasm. And, and there's just lots of like predictable biological responses that you can start to master. And, you know, the, 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 the body is the limit there, whatever you can think of. So uh, part of your experiment with uh, Wim Hof's method was um, you did the, besides the hike up Mount Kilimanjaro, you also did the tough guy. Mm -hmm. We've had Scott Keneally on the podcast talk about the Sufferfest and the tough guy. Um, you know, he's running that right now. I am so jealous. Is, is he doing that right now? It's yeah. cold. I mean, it's cold here in Oklahoma. I can't imagine what it is over there. But it's this brutal obstacle. It's like the original obstacle course race. Just it's in the dead of winter in England. Um, you, they, the guy, make, this guy named Mouse makes his guys go through just ice cold water, just brutal stuff. Um, and you did this, tough guy. And not only did you do it, you did it without, you just did it in a pair of shorts and a pair of shoes. That's it. Um, so can you tell us about your experience doing the tough guy while following Wim Hof's method? Yeah. You know, I am not an endurance athlete. Like I didn't expect to want to win this or anything. And, and, you know, people win tough guy at, <clears throat> in like an hour and a half, but it's a, what is it like a 12 or 15 mile race? Um, but mostly obstacles <clears throat> where you're jumping over walls and, 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 and then into like icy water and then you're all muddy and then you're climbing under barbed wire and there's electrical shocks and all of these sort of like, you know, typical, what we now think of as typical obstacle course things. But the main, uh, obstacle in tough guy is the cold and people will go run this basically wearing wetsuits, you know, covered in neoprene, uh, because, you know, the year before I did it, we had, there were 300 people who ended up in the emergency room with hypothermia. Now, I wanted to run this in just shorts. You know, I had shorts, shoes. I may have had gloves because I wanted to be able to climb up those obstacles efficiently. And uh, and I completed the the course in about three and a half hours, uh, which is you know definitely nothing special, but in this frigid, frigid weather. And I was just warm. I was actually elated the whole time uh, I was doing it. It was just, just this total high because whereas everyone else was shivering and sort of, you know, really fighting this one challenge, uh, I, I my body responded to it with just releasing adrenaline and epinephrine and just making me feel great. And, and, and everyone who I met on the course was like, why are you smiling, my friend? And I was like, I, it was just an awesome um, sort of just whole body pleasurable experience to me. And I think because I'd been doing this Wim Hof training for at that point uh, regularly for about six months, uh, the, the, the challenge that other people's bodies were sort of failing at, I had just no issue with. I thought it was great. Yeah, I think it's interesting, like the, this whole obstacle course racing phenomenon, like this um, interest in Wim Hof and what he's doing. It seems like there there is an underground revolt going against sort of the diseases of civilization. I mean, are there any other you know little subcultures you came across during the research of your book where you you found people you know purposely injecting environmental stress in their life to become healthier and stronger? Sure. I mean, you know, I, I like the obstacle course race industry because it's so contained and obvious, right? It's like like you know you 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 you're a weekend warrior. And you go out there and you get a little suffering because, hey, not only does it look good on Facebook, it actually feels really cool to take a, on a challenge, to, to, to do something out of your ordinary routine. And, you know, 
in some sense, every exercise routine that anyone takes on, you know, CrossFit or, um, you know, or, or surfing where you hang out in the water for a hell of a long period of time, all of that is, is sort of bucking your nose at this sort of comfortable life that you really, you know, you could just live in your office the whole time, every day. Uh, and, you know, I have just mad respect for anyone who can go out there and just go, grab a little bit of suffering and say, actually, that suffering isn't, is actually making me stronger. And, and then I start to enjoy it. Uh, but you know, it, maybe you've seen this viral video going around of like kids in Siberia dumping ice water on themselves. Uh, this is where uh, there's this school where they have, um, it's like a, it's like an elementary or maybe even a preschool. And they have these, this, this video of like these kids running outside into the Siberian winter, pouring ice water on themselves, rolling in the snow for five minutes and then going back inside. And the teachers at the school say that it has prevented all of their kids from getting sick, <laughs> which is crazy. You know, no one would do that in America. We, we are so coddled in this, in this country, you know, you know, this is the country where a free range child uh, ends up having the, the parents of that kid end up having child protective services called on them. Uh, it's it's just so funny, but I think there's a lot of people out there who who want to get back to nature, and, and you know there's a whole ancestral health movement, uh, barefoot running, uh, you know paleo diet people. I mean, all of these people are, are are pushing on on this idea that that technology isn't all that it cracked up to be, and that maybe comfort hides its own type of suffering. So be, when you, before you started Wim Hof's method for a year, you got your physiology test. You, you went through some medical tests. Mm -hmm. How did your physiology change after a year of following his methodology? Well, so I went to the Boulder uh, Sports and Recreation Center over at the uh, University of Colorado Boulder, where this physiologist first measured me when I, before I had done, that was doing the method regularly. So I had actually you know, consciously stopped doing it for about a month in the middle of the summer. And he measured me on a stress test, which is basically getting me up to my VO2 max and seeing how my body uh, uh, processed energy. And I was a pretty ordinary dude, like, you know, definitely nothing special. Uh, he actually sort of laughed at how not special I was, uh, and it, which meant that I, I burned mostly carbohydrates uh, during my exercise and then eventually started burning fat at the very end, which is the exact opposite of what you want to be if you're an endurance athlete. And at the end of this um, of the, the the training course, after I'd climbed Killy, after I'd done all these things, where I, where I hadn't changed my workout daily workout routine any more than doing the breathing exercises and cold exposure uh, at the end of all that. And that's like 15 minutes a day. It's really not that, that much, much time. He uh, examined my physiology again, and I had suddenly switched to a primarily fat burning person. Uh, and, and uh, I was able to do additional stages on, on his VO2 max test. Uh, and he was actually really surprised by these results because I hadn't actually changed my my cardio routine that much. I was doing like three nor three you know runs a week or something like that, and he was like it, it was as if I had added seven hours of exercise uh, to my routine uh, every every week, and he thought it was really really cool, and I was pretty happy with those results. So you went into this. Uh investigation as a skeptic. I mean, are you a believer now or are there some aspects of Wim's claims you're like, eh, I don't know about that, but there are, are there some aspects you're like, yeah, that that's I'm I'm down with that. 
Oh, I mean, certainly I'm, I'm always going to be a skeptic of claims that are, that are too big. Uh, and, and I think whim is the doorway into something really beautiful and really wonderful about our physiology, but sometimes he'll say things that are impossible to prove or dangerous to prove. I and mean, he'll, he'll sometimes say it can cure cancer or cure AIDS. And I don't know about that. Like I'm, I'm going to, I'll wait for the evidence to roll in um, for that. But I, what I will say is that he has certainly opened my my eyes to a different way of looking at our body in the environment. Like we used to think that health, like general health re relied on two things, diet and exercise, you know, the, the energy you put into your body and what you expended through physical exertion. But what this has taught me is that there's actually a third pillar and that the environment you inhabit is just as important as those two other things. And that alone seems to have just a, a whole cascade of other effects on, on health in general. And uh, I would, you know, it's good. It's, you know, it's changed my life and I, it's changed my perspective on things, um, you know, forever, I would think. Well, Scott, this has been a great conversation. Where can people learn more about your, your book and your work? Uh, so I have the book, uh, which is called What Doesn't Kill Us, How Freezing Water, Extreme Altitude, and Environmental Conditioning Will Renew Our Lost Evolutionary Strength. Uh, it is on all the places that you might find a book, you know, bookstores and Amazon and all those places. Uh, there's an audiobook out. So if you really liked listening to my voice now, you can do 10 hours of it, uh, you know, on Audible and iBooks. And also I have Facebook. I got the Twitter. I've got email. I've got my own website, which is scottcarney.com. You know, all the things that you you know, Google is your friend for finding me. Well, Scott Carney, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks. My guest today was Scott Carney. He's the author of the book, What Doesn't Kill Us. It's available on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can also find out more information about Scott's work at scottcarney.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash cold exposure where you can find links to resources. We can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. This show is recorded on clearcast.io. If you're a podcaster who are looking for a solution for better sounding remote podcast interviews, check it out at clearcast.io, something I've developed. As always, we appreciate your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly.